What's going on, everyone? The You Know I Got Soul and Soul in Stereo podcast. We are back. I am here with Ed, and Tom is missing in action again, Ed. Once again, Tom is off listening to his music Soul Child collection. He is probably curled up in some sweater like Carl Thomas with a turtleneck up to his eyebrows and reminiscing about the good days of 2002 when we cared about music. Oh, calm down, Ed. We're not going to start off this podcast by dissing my man because, Ed, you know I got so just celebrated its eighth birthday. That's right. You know I got so is eight years old. Look at that. Shout out to my boys. I had no idea that we just had an anniversary pass. So I'm pretty sure Tom is somewhere turning up, and rightfully so. (laughs) All the chicken you can eat. But, Ed. No seasoning, though. I'm kind of disappointed that Tom isn't here for this podcast because just yesterday, he actually listened to the Tank album, Savage, that just came out. And just to give you a little bit of a backstory, when I met Tom about eight years ago, he had actually gave me a list of his top ten R&B singers, and Tank, uh-huh. I think was Tank was in his top five. So, oh, I can't to, blame him, especially back then. To remember that Tank was in his top five, I think Donnell, Avant, Music, all of them were on, on his top ten. To go from top ten to what he was saying about this Tank album. On our BBM chat the other day, it was like, man, do I feel bad. <laughs> Play uh, as <laughs> in the words of Jay-Z from Top 10 and not mentioned at all. And listen, I know everybody is like, oh, here goes Ed dissing Tank again. As I said last week, like we are critical because we love it. We love this music. We know what an artist like Tank brings to the table and we know what he's capable of. So it kind of hurts our hearts to hear him kind of put it in third gear and kind of take it easy like this isn't he can do that type of album and still be the tank that we know he can be he does have to dumb down his vocals and lyrics if he wants to have an album that's a little bit more up tempo or hip-hoppy or current but he decided to do that so it's very very disappointing for tank fans and for people just expect more of their r&b it's weird though like the one thing Tom said, and I think it's pretty much true, is the tank that you listened to ten years ago. It's like it's enti- it's an entirely different artist. Like it's not even the same person anymore. Yeah, and I talked about it too. And again, before we get bashed on this, again, I'm not saying that we don't want our artists to evolve. I have long beat the drum that says we should not want our artists to put out the same album that we loved 15 years ago. I'm not here for that. I don't want to hear. Brandy's Never Say Never over and over and over and over and over again for 30 years. You probably do, but I don't. I want to hear some evolution. I want to hear something new. I want to see their talents brought in a new way. But this ain't the way to do it. Going backward is not helping the sound. Because we know the brother can do more than this. Not going to lie though, Ed, as I was thinking about this and as we continue to do these podcasts and hear you and Tom complain about Trap Soul and all the auto-tune that's going on. Can I just say one thing, Ed, and I want you to hear me out here. Are you ready? I'm ready. We took Ashanti for granted. Like I Oh, bet here you, we go. I here bet we you wish it was still 2002 and we were still throwing up those M's <laughs> for murdering. I'm, I'm willing oh to bet you're still waiting for those days. <laughs> I will say, as much garbage as I give you about Ashanti... I have even written on my site about how we kind of unappreciate what she brought to the game. Because you're right, 2002 Ashanti was fine. Ashanti is not the best vocalist, sorry to inform you. But when she knows her lane, she's great. When she knows how to stand at mid-tempo range, when she can hit those radio hits, we good. It's when she starts trying to be Whitney Houston that it goes all bad. So... I want to disagree with you, but I kind of do miss the 2002 Ashantis that could give us that radio hit that I wasn't afraid to play and sing along to. So, ugh, I gotta agree with Kyle. It's too early for this. Yeah, because let me tell you, I was listening to the radio the other day, and obviously the Cardi B song was on, and then following that, this is some other song by Post Malone, Congratulations, I think Mm -hmm. it's called. That song is all over the radio, too. 
It's weird how Post Malone like suddenly blew up when that album was like a year old. And, you know, just to be honest, just for clarification, because you can call me a hater, but you can always say I'm an honest hater. That album is actually a lot better than you would think it is. Now, it's terrible. He can't sing. But for some reason, it kind of works. It's kind of okay. It's an okay listen. But Post Malone is pretty terrible. (laughs) I won't give him that much credit. Fair enough. But back to some R&B, Ed. So we gave Tom a shout-out for the eight-year anniversary of You Know I Got. So I got to give a quick shout-out to our boy Daniel Vuong. Asian. Asian, another Asian brother of mine that uh, listens yes. to R&B just like we do. He called out Tyrese on Instagram. I'm not sure if you saw it, but I was scrolling through my Instagram feed and he called out Tyrese, of all people. I did not I didn't see that, but shout out to my man. He's been a a very stalwart follower of the podcast. He is a fan of both sites, and I love that he continues to support both of us. Yep. But did you hear what Tyrese did on Instagram this time? Oh my gosh. It's like every and people talk about y'all always talk about Tyrese and y'all always talk about Tank and y'all well, we talk about these people because they can't shut up. Yes, I heard about what this idiot said. Please enlighten the, the listeners. So as you know, Tyrese is one of the stars on the Fast and Furious franchise, which also stars Vin Diesel, Ludacris, and one of the newer additions is The Rock, who is set to do a spinoff of Fast and Furious for his character. And Tyrese is not happy about this because, number one, it pushes the release of the new Fast and Furious back for about a year so The Rock can film his own movie. And secondly, and most importantly, Tyrese feels like, hey, this is a franchise. We're a family. We should be sticking together. How dare you go off and make money off this brand by yourself? And Daniel Daniel came in on Instagram, commented and said, aren't you doing exactly the same thing with TGT? Isn't it family? Shouldn't you guys be touring together and not worrying so much about money? And I was like, damn. Woo! My boy brought that heat. I am so excited. He learned well. Yes. Let me tell you something, player. Tyrese is an idiot because he is the one that loves to be high and mighty when it comes to these things. But guarantee you, if they gave his crappy character a spinoff, you don't think he would be out there acting like he was the big boss? Please. It, I, I Let The Rock do what he wants to do. If he is the breakout character, I will preface this by saying, the last Fast and the Furious I've seen was the freaking one with Bow Wow one. So, don't take my word for it, because I know absolutely nothing about the franchise. But I do know that The Rock is a big star in movies right now. So, obviously, he's a marketable character. And I guess Tyrese is just a side dude. So, dude, stop hating on somebody else's success. And shout out to my boy for bringing that real. Because if you were as into family as you care to be, we would have another TGT album by now. But, oh, no. Some dudes got to do it on their own and make their own money, just like The Rock is doing. Please, with mm-hmm. your petty, get out of here. And it's funny, though, because on Instagram, when you leave a comment on someone else's page, it's hit or miss, especially for an artist like Tyrese, who gets like a million comments on the post. But I saw of Daniels, and he, and he was getting likes left, right, and center from fans of Tyrese, or people that were just following him. Like People were actually reading his comment and liking it. That was funny. Because even... Fans of Tyrese know that Daniel's keeping it real, and he is just being, as usual, self-righteous and a moron. Tyrese is a great singer, but he's pretty low on the human being scale sometimes. Get get over yourself, player. But some good news about Tyrese, because of this pushback on the Fast and Furious movie, Ed, he has announced he will be touring again, and he's ready to put out his new album, this is going to be a rap album, Identity Theft. I'm going to I also believe by 2000 and I believe 19 when the movie comes out, he'll also have an R&B album out by then as well cuz he doesn't have much now, going I, on. <laughs> play refresh my memory cuz I'm it, you know, your boy's getting up there in age these days. But I thought that Black Rose was supposed to be his final album. Uh yeah, Ed if if you haven't followed with today's social media, we forget everything that happens six months later. <laughs> <laughs> but 
That is pretty true. Remember when 50 Cent and, and Kanye went at it and they were supposed to like, this is 2007 and whoever had, I think 50 said that if graduation outsold his album, he would retire. And this was yep. 10 years ago and 50 Cent still mucking up radio stations today. Yeah, y'all don't really take heed to these retirements. So anyway, yay, we get another round of Black Tie. That's something. And, yep. and honestly, Black Tie as a rapper is okay when he just does his features. But when he tries to do a whole song, let alone a whole album, oh boy. Yeah, I don't think anyone's looking forward to a Black Tie album. But hey, maybe there will be some R&B on there. But speaking of R&B, Ed... We have a couple of new releases that came out, and some that we didn't talk about from the week before because there was just so much yeah, music let's coming out. Shantae Moore, I want to start with this one: "The Rise of the Phoenix." Ed, you love Shantae Moore. I'm a big Shantae fan, but I gotta say this album was just okay. It was one of those albums that she had a single that was, you know, doing pretty well. But I totally forgot that the album was out until Tom hit me up one day and was like, hey, have you heard Shantae's album? And I was like, um, which one? I had no idea that the album dropped. And it's weird that between the two, Soul and Stereo, you know I got Soul. And we forget our album drops. Did your fans remember? Because we stay on top of these things. So when it slips by us, I always wonder if the fans actually caught on. But anyway, to the album itself, it has a couple good songs that I really enjoyed. There was a song, and they're kind of scattered throughout. There's one that was called like The Prayer or something like that, that was a little early on, or Pray. And then there was one near the end of the album that I thought was really good as a standout. But as an overall project, it's okay. It's unfortunately like a lot of the albums we've heard this year, where it's an a, um, artist who's a great singer, but the actual album itself is a body of work. Eh, it's all right, but pretty forgettable. So another good example of Shantae Moore being a great vocalist, but not necessarily her best work as a package. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I will say, though, as I was listening to the album, she really modernized some of the production, which I think was a nice touch for her. It didn't sound like it was 1992, which is good. <laughs> Again, like we were saying earlier about Tank, I want that. I don't want an album that sounds like this. the moment is mine or whatever the old album was. I want something that sounds updated. She had a song called, I think it was like Off of You or something like that. And that was one that sounded a little bit more current. It certainly sounded like a 2017 song, but it also sounded like a Shantae Moore song. And that is what artists like Tank and some of these old other folks are missing. And I would wish that they would follow her lead for a project. I just wish that The Rise of the Phoenix, this album, was just a little bit more cohesive. It's interesting, Ed, because you, me, and Tom were all music lovers. We all review music. We were very critical of music that comes out. And we give you know our honest opinion on it. And I think for us, in the simplest terms, we review music based on whether it's good or not. Right? right? That's how we look at it. So we're not the only reviewers, of course, on the internet. So I actually went on, I think it was YouTube, and I was just curious to see how other people were taking this album. And Ed, I am so glad we're not like reviewers like these, but man, I wish I was because I don't even know what's going on in this review, but it's it's amazing. The, the reviewer said, first, it's clear Shantae has not used her head voice very much in the past. And as a side note, I don't know what a head voice is. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I think vocalists probably have like these very technical terms that we're just too dumb to know. But I they guess. also continued with, uh, in all the songs I've listened to on past albums, I hear either belt or breathy head songs that don't go above C5, perhaps. So when she tries to use that register, it openly sounds like it's something she's not good at. On this album, she's hitting head notes up to f5 the higher she goes the more it sounds like she's not good at these type of notes that my friend we need to hire that person on the spot because they're bringing a whole new level of reviewing that i couldn't even fathom but see here's the thing and not to diss this review i have no idea who this is and i always have respect for i was gonna say for all reviewers for most reviewers those who are fair and not just yes yes queen yes like that's not a review that's you standing anyway 
like I'm not dissing that review, but if you aren't a music major, do you know what that person said? I don't. No. I don't know if she was saying <laughs> that the person is good or not. Sometimes it's good to have a little bit of that technical stuff in your review, but you got to bring it down to earth player so the rest of us humans can understand what you're saying. Yeah. And it's great for you and your music class nerds to know what you're talking about with the head notes and it, this thing and that thing and all the riffs and that and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's the song good. That's all like when someone reads one of my reviews, I want them to know is the song good? Yay or nay? I'm gonna tell you. So bring it down, player. It's a you know, rain it in a little bit. Jeez, we ain't all as smart as you. So so on your reviews I won't be hearing you say, Man, I wish they used a MPC two thousand as opposed to Fruity Loops. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not, player, because while my shout out to my brother in law who is a producer and would actually get that the ninety nine percent of my readers and me would have absolutely no idea what we were talking about. I can just tell you if the beat knocks or the beat's trash. I'm glad we're on the same page with that one. Uh and another album that came out last week. Uh I wanna talk about Vivian Green. Who's been yes. putting out? Who's been putting out some solid albums? I think ever since she linked up with Kwame, it's been like the biggest blessing for the both of them because they're able just to do their own thing. What did you think of the new album? Well, here's my thing with Vivian. I am a I would Kyle. Uh, well, Tom is always like, "Oh, you don't like Vivian Green," and it's not that I dislike Vivian. I love her first album. I thought Emotional Roller Coaster was off the chain. Love her first album. Still play it today. But her subsequent albums kind of fall into what we were talking about earlier with Shantae. They have some really good songs, but overall they're kind of forgettable. It's just, eh, eh, you know, that that one's hot, that one's good. But when she teamed with Kwame, they just have a chemistry. And I feel like since they've been together, this album is probably the best overall project that they've done so far. I was really pleased with how well it flowed. I love the way that it sounded modern. But she also went to some soul roots. And as an overall package, that joint kind of goes. So it's one of the better releases I've heard in the past few months. And it's kind of cool that Vivian Green just does her own thing. She's been putting out albums consistently. So For a long time. I mean, she's been around since like 0203. And for yeah. the most part, hasn't taken a huge gap in releases. Yeah, which is surprising because a lot of artists nowadays, and I actually want to, and I'll, I'll get to it eventually, I wanted to actually put a collage of every artist that hasn't put out an album in five years, and I'm willing to bet there are a lot of our favorites that actually haven't done that. That is actually pretty cool, yes. I would love to see that. Kind of scary, but Brandy, you need to put out an album. It's getting bad. <laughs> Player, this is gonna look like the Kyle Graveyard. It's gonna be Brandy on it. It's gonna be Mario on it. Ooh. Oh, yep. And another album that came out. This one I actually was pleasantly surprised by. Demetria McKinney. Yes. Who we know, and I'm not sure. Well, we know I her on like TV. We talked but... a lot about her a lot. No, yes, we don't. We, we someone... know her on TV. But what about the music? Well, yeah, we. She's someone who is getting a presence. I think. Is she going to be in, this like a Whitney, it's like a Bobby Christina movie or something coming out soon. I think she's playing Whitney in that. Like yep. she's really making the rounds as far as Hollywood. But as far as her music, we haven't really talked about her very much here. And that's kind of a slight on our part because she has a great voice. She covers one of Whitney's songs on the album and it's pretty phenomenal. But overall, her album itself, it's an album that I wanted to love more than I was able to because she vocally she's got it she's got the vocals she's got the attitude she's got the charisma in the booth but playa the production on some of those songs was just a little pedestrian some of the mixing was a little suspect maybe not maybe to an untrained ear they might not be bothered by it but there were a few songs I was like is she singing in a can a Campbell suit why is it so echoey so yep. <laughs> There's some stuff that really need to be cleaned up technically, but as far as what she brought to the table, I thought she did very good for a debut. I just it could have it should have been a lot better if there was some technical 
kind of glitches cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, the album starts off pretty damn strong, if I do say so myself. And mm-hmm. it was pretty cool that she brought Jazzy Faye back from the dead. Oh, please. I don't know if we miss Jazzy Faye. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, this. I would recommend everyone go at least listen to this Demetra McKinney album. She has a great voice. And... It's her debut. It's on E1, and I think she, I mean she's working on she's been working on this for a minute. There's a couple of great songs on here, so definitely check that out. And I want to get into another project. This is actually an EP Ed Kevin Ross, one of our favorite young R&B stars. He put out an album earlier this year that we all really liked, and he's back now mm-hmm. with an EP. That was a pretty My quick turnaround. Does not. Yes, sir. I don't know if these are maybe cuts that didn't make the album or some stuff that he maybe kind of recorded after that initial session. But I think that he was able to drop this as soon as he was because he wanted to keep the momentum going. I think it's called Drive, if I'm not mistaken, the EP. And I haven't had a chance to listen to it in full, but a couple of songs I heard, I thought they were pretty okay. Yeah, I did. I listened to it and... um... I I don't think they were leftovers from the album because as I was listening to it, it did feel a little trendier, but mm-hmm. it was still it was still R and B. Like Kevin Ross is a fantastic singer, so it was still Kevin Ross music, but a little more trappy. I I guess is the right word. I guess modern is more so the right word. Um, there's a song on there called Like I Do, which I talked to you about yesterday. It's sort of it was sort of like he tried taking on the concept of Nobody by Keith Sweat. And turning it into another song, I thought that was kind of cool. Let me tell y'all something. When when Kyle hits me with a message and says, "You got to check out this song because it sounds like a kind of a Keith Sweat homage," you know, I dropped whatever I was doing. I probably threw down a punch bowl like Florida Evans, and it smashed all over the floor because I had to go hear this song immediately to hear that the overtones of Keith were going on. And I see what you're saying. It does feel a little bit wet, especially the arrangement. It just feels yeah. constructed a little bit like nobody. So anytime my man can give a little bit of inspiration to you youngins, I am all for it. Yep. Now, Ed, I got to ask you, because on this EP as well, there's a song called Prototype, which of course is a cover of the Elcast song. Why does everyone love mm-hmm. that song? I don't get it. What's not to love about that song? I love uh, Prototype. Every concert that I've been to, from these new artists, they always cover that song. It's weird that that song is like always covered because I, I mean, I like it, but geez, it's also a song that's probably pretty easy to cover because it's, you know, Andre. We love Andre, but vocalist he is not, so it might be a little easy to put your stamp on that thing and kind of outshine my man. But I love the song. I think it's a cute little song. Mm-hmm. And I want to quickly go into a new song by one of our favorite artists on the website, Bridget Kelly. Happy for me. She's actually going to be on one of the TV shows. Is it Love and Hip Hop? Yeah, she's going to be on Love and Hip Hop. Ed, I mean, yes. we haven't. I haven't had a chance to listen to the album yet, but I got one question for you. What happened? Yes. What happened to Bridget Kelly? Player, I don't know what happened because there is no reason that after she dropped Special Delivery, I just knew that that was it. Like, I was like, okay, she's good to go. That's a great song. She's on her way. She just kind of fell off the face of the earth. And I know Tom can speak a little bit more to her because he's a little closer to her than her career than we are. But when it comes to that, it seemed like she had all the momentum in the world and just poof. And there are a lot of artists from that era that just vanished. Like, what in the world happened to Leah LaBelle? I, I just knew that she was going to be huge. Then, poof. Nowhere. Over there working at Target or something. I don't know where she is. Yeah. It's disappointing because Bridget Kelly was signed to Rock Nation. And, I mean, let's be fair. Jay-Z's track record is not perfect. Tierra Marie, Rita Ora. So there were a couple that didn't quite make it, but... Bridget Kelly seemed to have some momentum as she was starting off, and then it just disappeared. She had a little bit of buzz. She had a great single that did relatively well, if I'm remembering correctly. And at a time when R&B was starting to get phased out, that was getting some decent play. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was some 
some legal mix-up or hindrance that pulled her back. I don't know. She decided to pull back a little bit, but she just went away. And now I know she's trying to do the reality show thing and blah, blah, blah. That's what we do now to sell records, unfortunately, since we don't have a 106 in Park to go to to shill your records. We got to do this. So, I mean, I haven't heard the track yet. It's Bridget, so I would assume that it's pretty decent. I'll check it out soon, but uh, I don't know what went wrong. I'm not going to lie, though. I'm actually surprised so many people tune into these love and hip-hop TV shows because, like, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's, I think Claudette was on it a couple of seasons ago, Claudette from City High. As a, as a watcher and a consumer, I think she was. She was on one of those shows, right? Now, she was on um, R&B Divas. Now, I did watch R&B Divas. Okay. But for me, as I'm tuning into these things... It'll probably be one of those things where I'll see it one time and I'll be like, okay, cool, Claudette's alive. But it's actually amazing to me that people tune into these things every single week and they're into the drama and everything. It's crazy. Of course they are because it's, well, you just said why they tune in. It's drama. It's to see a bunch of people yelling and screaming at each other. The reason why I like R&B Divas a little bit better than loving hip-hop is because even though there was drama... And some of it was a manufacturer because, of course, it's reality TV. At the end of the day, they were still adults. And even though they disagreed and sometimes they acted a little childish, like, oh, Nikki Gilbert on the early R&B diva days was ridiculous. Kelly Price and her infamous I'm booked quote. Like, they had moments where it was suspect. But they always acted like adults for the most part. And these shows, it's just... I can't speak to the newer Love and Hip Hop because I haven't watched those. But when I watched probably like the first season, I watched a few episodes of that. Play, I can't watch grown people acting like 13-year-olds. It hurts my soul. Yeah. But, but some people like it and they love that They love that conflict. And there you go. It ain't for me though. I'm just actually curious now in terms of the executives who decide who's on the show or not. Like, Bridget Kelly, I don't think she's a recognizable name to the general public, so I don't know how they decided to put her on it. No disrespect to Bridget, because she's super talented, but some of the artists that they put on there, I think another one was Brave from Rich Girl. Like, how many people remember Rich Girl, aside from a handful? I don't know. Maybe I'm just hating here. And I think was Brave on R&B Divas 2? Yep. Yep. Something like that. But anyway, it's weird because it seemed like originally Love and Hip Hop was like getting the significant others. Of, like I remember Fabulous's girlfriend was on it. So you would get like the significant others of people who were already established. Now it's like we just take any D-list artists and throw them up there and hope they generate enough drama to get us on rating. So again, I haven't watched it some of these recent seasons to weigh in on exactly what in the world is going on and the strategy behind it. But to me, if you once sang a record one time in the past 20 years, we might give you a shot as long as you can be mean and ridiculous on TV. Jeez. Speaking of watch, Ed, did you watch Hall of Fame, Chris Brown, Hall of Famers, uh, Chris Brown's documentary on Netflix? It just came out. I had better things to do, like iron my socks. <laughs> Why are you hating on Cousin Chris? Ed, I watched the documentary, and I was having a conversation with you guys. I was telling you guys, after watching this documentary, Chris Brown is going to be removed from the bad guy list, and he's going to be put on the good guy list alongside Joe, alongside John B. And after watching it, I do feel a little bad for him. Not too bad, but I do feel a little bad. And he had a rough childhood. And listen, I know all about the man's childhood. I know he's had a rough childhood. I know he's had it bad. But you know what, player? You are a grown man now. And I know that your experiences shape who you are. But at some point, when it becomes an adult, you have to remember that you have to be bigger than your experiences and you can't make excuses because of your experiences. So you want to wild out and act stupid and beat up people and shake up your girlfriend and scream on media people and throw things out of windows. And if you want to do that and say, oh, my childhood sucked, 
okay, well, a lot of people had suckier childhoods than you and were able to overcome that. So I ain't here for the excuses, cousin. Actually, what I learned from that documentary, he didn't throw a chair out the window. He actually punched it. So watch out. He he punched the window and didn't throw it out? No, he punched the window. Huh. <laughs> well, look at that. Look what you learned today. He's actually the Hulk and not a wrestler. Yep. Does that put him into the Hall of Fame? Um, It will only put him in the Hall of Fame with... The Joker and Bane, and oh. he goes into Batman's Rose Gallery Hall of Fame, not the R&B Hall of Fame. And let me get this straight. You were not a fan of his album cover either, Heartbreak on a Full Moon, which he just premiered on his Instagram last week. Ed, can you oh describe, my good, now, can you describe the playing. album cover to everyone? Wait, hold on. I got to I gotta, let me get a sip of something. I'm sounding like Tom, because I got to get a sip of something before I talk about this album cover. So the oh. album cover is called Heartbreak on a Full Moon. So what would the album cover be? Would it be a pensive Chris Brown looking to the heavens? Would it be some heartbreak broken woman like laying across a car? Would it be him sitting in the graveyard because it's coming out on Halloween and he loves Michael Jackson? Oh no. It is an actual moon with an actual heart on top of the moon. It's like the elf on the shelf meme, except it's a heart on a moon. I was like, did your daughter create this? Because this is the laziest album cover I have ever seen. Well, yeah, I don't know. But the album does come out on Halloween with 40 new songs. That should be exciting. (sighs) Y'all are trying to kill me. Y'all expect me to review 40 songs... On the album that has literally a heart on a plate. And, oh my god, this is going to be a long Halloween. Now, Ed, I I kind of feel like, Ed, I feel like, as we talked about last week, how this generation seems to root for the artists without caring too much about what they're putting out. They just care about, you know, who they are and they just want them to win. I kind of feel like that started with Cousin Chris. I think it definitely did. Shout out to our girl, um, CC, a.k.a. Miss Superwife. longtime fan and supporter of the site and the podcast. And she had an outstanding point on social media the other day. And this is why we encourage y'all to make sure that you follow us and add us at, you know, I got so Y-K-I-G-S and E.T. Bowser on Twitter because we have some great conversations. And one of those conversations came from her and she brought up this point, and I can't believe no one ever pointed it out. The reason why there is this disconnect between the generations of music is because they celebrate different things. For instance, my generation, we put the music before the artist. If there's a song that dropped to this day, if there's a song that we love, we will fight for that song. If someone says, I don't like Mariah's Always Be My Baby, we're like, what? You're crazy. Let me tell you why this song is hot. But that was our generation. This generation celebrates the artist over the song. So that's why you have a Chris Brown who could beat, kill, murder, slaughter, do whatever, put out horrible album after horrible album. But you're going to be, yes, Chris, yes, Chris, yes, we on Team Breezy because they celebrate the artist no matter what. The artist is flawless. And if you don't celebrate every aspect of the artist, then you somehow betray the artist. So they have this undying loyalty to the artist, whereas our generation more had an undying loyalty to the music. That's why a lot of times I say that I have no problem, as we talked about last week, I will criticize even my favorite artist. Missy Elliott is my girl. but And her first album is one of the albums that really define who I am as not only a music fan, but as a person. But I'll tell you, that same album got some crap songs on it if you look hard enough. And I can say that out of love, because I love Missing, and I love that album. But a fan today would never say that, because you have to celebrate the artists and everything they do is perfection. And I think that that goes a little bit too far, just like I think our generation sometimes goes a little too far with their standing for actual songs and not recognizing that every song ain't perfect. So, it's a weird way to look at how people look at music today, but I think it's very, very accurate. 
That's a very good point. Now, you mentioned this debut album by Missy Elliott, Super Dupa Fly. I just thought of something really, really funny. That was the album with Friendly Skies on it, right? With Genuine? Yep. Sure was. I remember, I remember when, during that time period, every feature that Genuine, Genuine was on, Timbaland would always add the pony burping sound to his part. Whether he it would. was Friendly Skies... Or one in a million. It was like, oh, by the way, this is genuine from that pony song. <laughs> <laughs> because it's almost like um, Rick Ross's Maybach music thing. Whenever he's on it, you're gonna hear that Maybach music drop. And whenever you heard G on a song, you would hear that burp, 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 that little bullfrog noise. And it was kind of his yeah. signature. I kind of miss those days. Yeah, those days were fun. But back to your point about the fans. I think Chris Brown is a it's an odd case because I think a lot of that was fueled and propelled um, in terms of that massive fan base was also because, on the contrary, you also had people that didn't bother with his music because they just hated him as a human being. And I think that's where the push and the shove comes from because you have one side that won't even bother and you have another side that won't bother either but just love him to death. Yeah, and you see that a lot now, even with um, R. Kelly, and that's kind of a more extreme case. But you see that too, and I get a little defensive about that when we see all these think pieces flying about. If you listen to an R. Kelly fan, you're no different than a person than a pedophile. And I was like, chill out a little bit, people. Like again, I think that you don't have to be as extreme. Now, there's some people who don't want to listen to Chris Brown. Because they know what he's done, and they, he can apologize all day long, and he has apologized. My issue with him is he's apologized, and he'll go back and do it again. So it shows that he isn't as apologetic as he seems. But anyway, there are some people who just literally can't listen to their music without thinking about the bad things they're accused of doing. And I understand that, and I respect that. But I'm not going to say because you listen to the music, you're a bad person. That's, that's a little out of line. So I think, as you were saying, there needs to be a divide and not so much extremism on one side. If you like the song, cool. If you don't, cool. If you think that artist is Satan and you don't want to listen to their music, that's fine. But I don't know if because you caught somebody else listening to one song that they're bad because they support that song. Now, if you were saying, oh, I don't care what they did because I like that song. Now, that's stupid. Again, it goes back to the whole celebrating the artist over everything else. But I think we just need to have as fans a little bit more nuance when we start looking at this stuff. It's all right, y'all, to love who you love, but just use some common sense. 100% agree with that. Ed, I, I can feel that you're a little heated right now, so I want to quickly switch gears here and ask you the ultimate question. Are you ready? I'm ready because you already got me done fired up today. <laughs> so, 1993 was a good year, wasn't it? Of course. The best. So, what's what's a better song? SWV Right Here, the Human Nature remix, or Escapes Just Kicking It? Oh, player. No, not even close. Not even close. The wow. Human Nature remix is like one of the best songs of that generation. And I love Just Kicking It, but it ain't even close. Damn. Uh, now, time to go back to being mad. Let's talk about Keisha Cole. You know, <laughs> Soul's personal enemy, public enemy number one. And, and I don't understand. Player, where did the Me beef either. come from? I don't understand. One day she was just mad at y'all. It's weird that somebody's mad at y'all and not me. Listen, we posted her new video, Incapable, on our website. We tweeted it out. And then just out of curiosity, I clicked on her twitter page and it still says you have been blocked by keisha cole oh my gosh i want to know what happened because i mean i can see and i've been blocked by the best but i have keisha we still on speaking terms as far as i know yeah i, I won't be invited to her thanksgiving dinner but ed <laughs> this is sort of like the surprise of the century her album comes out in like two weeks Again, yet another artist who's dropping soon that's kind of like, okay. And I know Keisha's been dropping singles pretty much pretty regularly for the past few months, but has any of them stuck? Have you heard any of them on radio? I haven't. No, I haven't. 
But as I'm reading the press release, she's dubbing it as her comeback album. And if this is her comeback album and nobody knows about it, then <laughs> is it really a comeback? Player, how can you come back if nobody knows you're home? Jeez. Oh, yeah, poor Keisha. But- and it's a shame because I've always, and I've gone on record many times to say, I thought Keisha was going to be our new Mary J. Like, she just had that much momentum at her peak. But it just, yeah. I don't know. And it's actually interesting if you think about it. Keisha Cole hasn't had a hit since I want to say her third album, maybe fourth. I guess "Trust and Believe" is uh. Well, actually, is that her? Yeah, that's her third. No, that's her fifth album. No, "Trust and Believe" was um much later, but her fifth. She, you know, she had the first three albums that did well, and then it kind of petered off, and she she peaked again. And then it just went down again. And in that me- in that time, she's had good songs here and there. They were off her last yeah. album. Her last album was not that good as a package, but it had a couple joints that I remember really liking. I remember Tom was whining when we did the countdown of the best songs of that year, and I put a bunch of Keisha Coles up there, and he was like, oh, all these Keisha Coles songs. But maybe that's why she blocked us. Anyway, so uh-huh. she's got some great output out there, but... I don't know about this comeback, player. Is this this new song worthy of a comeback? Well, she's put out some pretty decent songs over the last couple of months, so I think this album will definitely be better than her last one, Ed. I mean, I know you love that Rick James song, but that's not actually a good song. Listen, player, every once in a while, even I, even I can turn my brain off for just a second and listen to a little bit of foolishness. And that song was pure foolishness. Yep. So we'll see what happens with Keisha in two weeks. We'll probably talk about the album when it comes out. And I got to talk about this last artist just because I know there's there's fans out there that actually like this artist. And I'm talking about the king of blue-eyed soul, Sam Smith. Ed, he just put out a song with Timbaland, but it does not sound like a Timbaland song at all. Well, I'm not surprised. Timbaland is a lot more diverse, and he's kind of a kind of a musical chameleon, so to speak. Because he will produce some things, and you won't notice a Timberland song. I remember when he was doing music for the Empire's soundtrack and TV show. A lot of those songs were Timberland songs. They sound nothing like Timberland songs. They just sounded like regular old pop songs. So he knows how to change it up. It's not always going to be the genuine bullfrog. Which is disappointing, because I miss those days. But (laughs) Sam Smith is going to be putting out his album soon. Um, Ed, did you have you been following Sam Smith since the beginning, or has he kind of flew by your radar? Um, I will admit, and I have um, fist fought with Tom a couple times about this. Like, I don't mind Sam Smith. He's not. I don't have a bunch of Sam Smith songs rocking in my earbuds, but he got a couple joints that are all right. He can sing, and he plays his role well. He's kind of like a male Adele. He. Talented and does his thing. Not always my cup of tea, but I respect what he does. So he all right with me. Thank goodness. I thought you were going to go into a Tyrese tirade for a second. No, oh, please, no. We don't need another one of those. <laughs> Very well. Um, that appears to really be it for this week's new music. I want to quickly um, get into this Hall of Fame thing. I know this podcast is going to be a little shorter than what everyone anticipated. And I'll be honest with you, Ed and I are both tired. But we have to leave it with a on a good note. So let's get into this Hall of Fame, Ed. Are you ready? Yeah, I stay ready. So I picked last week, which means you should probably pick this week. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have anything ready, I can throw it to the fan nomination um have we done babyface yet i don't know if we've done babyface yet but that's a no that wasn't gonna be who i was gonna pick but we can do mine and that person's okay well miss Superwife wanted us to nominate babyface i mean i think this is a no-brainer he's a legendary songwriter producer has had a very strong solo career of his own can't really think of anything that I can say is bad about Babyface. Uh, some people complain about his singing ability, how it's not uh, like a premier vocalist, but I don't think he needs to be one. He just writes great songs. Well, 
here's the thing with Babyface, and I am a Babyface fan. He has definitely had the career to back up his accolades. I do think that you can make the argument that he isn't the best vocalist, but he's he's no powerhouse, but he's good at what he does. People need to realize that you don't just because you're not Luther doesn't mean you can't sing. Like there are different levels of abilities to sing, and Babyface plays his role very well. He's not singing stuff that's out of his range. He's not trying. His voice isn't the strongest, but he knows how to play to his strengths. So, although he isn't the strongest, I would not say he can't sing. I have the same kind of thoughts about Mary J. Mary J. is not a. She's gotten a lot better. She used to be rough. Oh my goodness! But she knows what she can do. She plays it well, and she's improved. I feel the same thing about Babyface. The, here's my thing about Babyface, though. If this was a producer, we've talked a little bit about having a songwriter's Hall of Fame or producer Hall of Fame. Oh, man, Babyface, no question. Because he has been the pen behind some of the biggest songs in the history of R&B. His personal output, though, and while I wouldn't say it's bad, I don't think it's as legendary as people remember it being. He had, of course, his um, Tender Lover out. Tender Lover album was big. What a Coolin' You was big, and he's had those big albums. But besides that, kind of early '90s, late '80s range, and then he did his thing kind of later on in '96. But besides that range, his kind of peak was very short as a single yeah. artist. So I think that's a hit against him. I would still say yes. He's worthy of the R&B Hall of Fame, but I don't think he's a shooting. Yeah, I, that was the next question I was going to ask you was, I kind of separate it into two things. You have Babyface the artist, and then you have Kenneth Edmonds the songwriter. As a songwriter, he's a, he's an automatic yes. Mm-hmm. As, an, as an artist, though, you're right. It is hard to say. I mean, I did enjoy some of his later stuff as well, but... It never really reached the level of what he did initially. But I will also say that some of his earlier work, such as A Tender Love and Whip Appeal, those are classic R&B songs that people still love to this day. There's an impact that he made. So I would give him the nod for the Hall of Fame as an artist as well. And I think whether we're talking about him as an artist or as a songwriter, he did really put his stamp on what 90s R&B was. Like when we talk about boys to men doing their thing, Babyface was behind a lot of that. Babyface was behind. I I could it's so crazy because we could dedicate an entire podcast and maybe we should one day to just on the impact Babyface had on R&B just alone. We could spend over an hour talking about all the songs that he's written, the production styles he's influenced. The man has done it all. But as I said, the only weird thing about this and the weird criticism you could have is that if you're looking at this R&B Hall of Fame as simply what you have done as an artist, he's been good. But man, that window was really short. Like we talking like really a year, year and a half when he was peak. And then after that, he kind of just faded out. And again, he still had good songs. He still dropped stuff they did relatively well. But he just had a kind of short reign on the top of R&B. So that's the one argument you could say against him. Yeah. And quick question, though, because as I'm thinking about it, him, Brian McKnight, and Boyz II Men, they were all huge in the 90s. Massive. Why did none of them transition into the 2000s with that same impact? They were the kings of the love songs, but once you hit that 2000s mark, it wasn't about love like it was in the 90s. Was that the biggest detriment well, to their careers? Well, we have to remember how music evolves, and by the late 90s, while in the early 90s, hip-hop was starting, really hip-hop started mixing with R&B way back when Jodeci was doing it in the early 90s, but it wasn't as commonplace. By the end of the 90s, hip-hop and R&B were pretty much married together. And a lot of folks just weren't able to make that transition. And some, you know, even in the late 90s, we were still the more traditional soul was doing well. Boys and Men was still doing its thing. By then, Babyface was kind of just doing writing and not doing a lot of stuff on his own. But the point is that the sound changed and 
either they didn't want to evolve because Babyface never evolved. He never tried to do that more hip hop stuff. Um, and those uh, who what about well, he did a couple of Neptune songs. No, no, he he did, but not like he didn't put out. He didn't pull a tank and pull out a whole album that traditionally just reinvented his sound. Like he definitely had right. a couple of upbeat songs, and that's cool. But he didn't totally reinvent himself and his sound because there are artists who did do that over time. Like if you look at Mary J's discography, she's done that a couple times. But anyway, I'm getting off track. Those artists were kind of, they had their sound. And when R&B evolved, they just didn't really make the transition. And it's not that they failed to do so. It's like almost like they didn't try. They were just kind of like, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to keep doing what I do. Or I want to change lanes and pivot over here and stay behind the boards. Or do something a little different. So I think that's why those artists, even though those who, the Brian McKnight's and the Boys and Men, they were still around releasing music, it didn't get the acclaim and the impact that it did of the Drew Hills and the 112s and the Jagged Edges who were embracing R&B and hip-hop a little bit stronger. But what's interesting is, as they go on tour now, all of these artists from the 90s, everyone just wants to hear the stuff from the 90s. They don't even care about the stuff when they were transitioning over to the 2000s. No, of course not, because they want to hear about when they, was on, when they were on top. If there was a Babyface, um, if there's going to be like a Babyface reunion concert, they're going to want to hear Tender Love, they want to hear Whipple Peel, they're going to want to hear that Boomerang song, they want to hear the stuff with Pebbles. Like That's what they're going to want to hear. They're not going to hear any song that they might have heard a few times in the late 90s, but that was okay. But they want to hear the hits, and they want to remember the artists as they fell in love with them. And for Babyface, that's going to be that late 80s or early 90s. Yeah. Fair enough. So Babyface, again, we'll have to leave it to Tom to decide if Babyface is in the Hall of Fame or not. But we've made our, we put our opinions on it. But Ed, who's your nomination for this week? Oh, who cares about Tom? We got two yes votes. His own matter. He'll be complaining about music or something. Anyway, I guess after hearing about this great nomination of Babyface, my nomination is going to be a little bit underwhelming. But if you were around circa 2002, you knew what was up with these dudes. I nominate with heavy heart. B2K. Wow. And let me tell you why they are up for nomination. Because in 2002, when the boy band craze was starting to die down a little bit, R&B never had like their own boy band. There were the NSYNCs that kind of dipped their toe in R&B. But B2K brought back the visions of the Immature and uh, um, what's those dudes' name? Uh, another Bad Creation and all those guys from earlier in the 80s and 90s that were... Ugh, as crazy as it sounds, they were making the little girls squeal and scream and go nuts. They were the sex symbols of the 90s. And the 2000s were B2K. And oh my goodness, the mania was insane. If you watch 106 in Park, there would be girls throwing up on each other when these dudes would come out on the stage. And their albums weren't half bad, to be honest. Like, B2K's debut had a couple joints on it. The second album was more successful, but it was a little whacker. But it was they had some okay music. Of course, Omar, Omarion has gone on to be a bigger star solo on his own. But should they be in consideration for a Hall of Fame? I'll let you go before I give my verdict. Hmm. This was a very... You know, I thought about this one, too. This was actually who I planned on nominating the next time it came around. But before we get into that, Ed, I just forgot to give one more quick shout out to Babyface because he does have a great song with Lil Wayne, Comfortable. Whew. Oh, I love that song. Yes, that's. I'm not a fan of Lil Wayne's Carter 3 album. I I think it was, oh, really recently on Soul and Stereo, you guys can check it out, my hip-hop fans. I had a list of the best R&B, uh, I had a list of the best R&B albums, but also a list of the best rap albums of the 2000s. And Carter 3 did not make the cut. Carter 2 made the cut. And a lot of Carter 3 fans were pissed and were like, how dare you not put that this album on it? 
And I'm like, that album was pretty uneven. But one of the standouts was that song with Babyface. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. So when it comes to B2K, and I'm just going to keep it as B2K, Omarion, we can nominate another day. But B2K, listen, there are a couple of things that I think are great about B2K in terms of them as well as Bow Wow. They were, sto- they were sort of the start of that BET fanimonium mm-hmm. craze that was going on. You know, they went on the Scream tour, and if you were in that demographic, you were there. You were packing out the arena to watch them sing songs like Bump, 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 and songs like that. But for a Hall of Fame, Ed, I don't think so. What I will say is this. Culturally, they made their impact. With the BET stuff, you got served. That that movie right there symbolizes the 2000s to me. It was that mm-hmm. break dancing, baggy pants. It was all of that. And although they do have a couple of memorable songs, I don't know if their music has really aged that well. I mean, don't get me wrong. What a Girl Wants is one of my favorite songs. Why I Love You is a great song as well. But, I mean, a lot of their stuff, it was just great for its time. Um, so for that reason, I can't really put them in the Hall of Fame. And realistically, they only put out two albums. So there's not enough to go by. So I'm going to have to go with no for B2K. And more importantly than that, I feel like B2K and Bow Wow started the whole BET craze. And Chris Brown, who is not in the Hall of Fame, he was the one that took it to New Heights. So if Chris Brown's not in it, I can't put B2K in it, unfortunately. Oh, please. I mean, listen, I don't (laughs) disagree with you. I think that Chris Brown would deserve a spot before B2K. So, yes, I actually agree with everything you said. You hit all the points I was going to say. I think that they were very impactful for that moment in time. They're kind of like Babyface. It's crazy I'm comparing the two. But how we were saying how, hear me out, player. Hear Hear me out. So... What they were were extremely successful in a very, very short amount of time. Like, they basically ruled 2002, 2003. And that's it. Whereas Babyface had that big time as an artist. He had decades after behind the boards. And that is what kind of helped his legacy grow. B2K ain't had it. They were kind of flashing the pan. They were hot for the moment. And then they, they fizzled out because, you know, infighting and y'all know that story. And I will not hate. Yeah. I love Gots to Be. I still play that. And a couple other joints yeah, I from forgot the first it. album. I forgot yeah, they got some jumps. But, Ed, but no, they are not getting my nomination to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely not. But Ed, I got to ask you, as we talk about Omarion, do you think he has surpassed the status of B2K? I don't think he has. I don't either. Now, of course, Omarion fans will say yes, that he has. I don't think he has in a way that a Marcus Houston has surpassed Immature. Because when you look at those two, those are always kind of intertwined in my mind because their ascensions were so similar. I think Immature had a much longer shelf life than B2K did. But I feel like Marcus Houston was able to evolve on his own as an artist. And whereas Omarion did as well, I don't know that outside of... He's had some good songs, but I can't really think of a time where he really took off. Now, when he first went solo, it seemed like, okay, he was going to be the next dude. But it just didn't reach the height. And since then, it's just been fits and starts where he's almost about to do it. He's almost about to be the big star. And it doesn't quite work. And he still just comes off as the guy who used to be in B2K. And I feel like Marcus Houston just kind of shook that immature thing a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so you're telling me you were not eating the boost, the booty like groceries a couple of years ago? Um, no, I was not eating the booty like groceries. Oh, okay. Um, but it's interesting, as I think about Omarion's solo career, and I think this was intentionally done, but his, first, his very first single that he put out as a solo artist was O, which was like a sexed up uh, type of record, and I think that was to distance himself away from the B2K brand. I don't know if that really worked out too well for him. It, I, I actually like that song a whole lot. Oh, but I don't song. think it was oh, the yeah. song that w- that he needed. I think that a lot of his other, like Touch Icebox, I think there were some other songs that should have been the ones to be out in the forefront first. 
But it's weird. He just he's had like the tools, but I don't know if it's timing. I don't know if it's direction. I don't know if he just wasn't strategic enough. But he has not been able to navigate the way that he should have been able to to reach that next level. And it might have started with just picking the wrong first single. You know what they say about first impressions? If you screw that up, it's going to be hard to recover. Yep. Now, Ed, it's funny that you mentioned B2K. I just did a little bit of Google Googling, and it looks like on the latest Love & Hip Hop, Little Fizz, who is one of the members of B2K, he's working on getting the band back together. Oh, and my God. G- and guess who he went to for advice on this? None other than Bobby Brown, because Little Fizz was like, new edition got back together. How do I get my boys back together? And Bobby Brown was like, you should definitely do it. So my question is, do they even still have a place in today's music? I mean, I think they can go on tour. Pretty Ricky just got back together, and they're about to go on tour. I think B2K could do that as well. Definitely they could do that. Because you got to remember, look at the audience. The audience in 2002, that's been, oh my gosh, I'm old. That's freaking 15 years ago now. So that audience of girls who were like 10 or in their early 20s, they got disposable income. They have money. They ain't got to ask their mama to go to the fandomomium screen tour anymore. They can come out of their own pockets. So if they come back, get themselves together, get their routines right, and can pull off something, please. They Those girls who grew up loving them will easily spend the money to see them in tour again. It's crazy they go running to Bobby Brown for advice, Mr. I Fry Chicken and Crack, but whatever. <laughs> so good for them for doing that. But again, it could work, and I definitely think it's worth a shot. And I think the thing that people have to remember is because they started so young, they're really not that old still. They're still probably, at at most, early 30s. Yeah, because again, look at what we're saying about the the fans of those artists. Because I remember the girls that in my youth group that were in love with B2K. They were like, in 2002, they were definitely not teenagers. So they were like 10 or 11. So you add on those years from that now... They're like almost 30. So they are young. They might have kids. They might be like little babies or something, but they don't have grown kids. And they're still young. They can still turn up. And they are still eager to go out and relive their childhood. So definitely. And like you said, B2K isn't ancient. They probably are 30 at the oldest. They can still get out there and do what they got to do. So it's a win-win if they can pull it off. I'll miss the concert and be alright, but y'all can have fun. (laughs) I feel like this is the time to do it because if they wait a little longer, not only do they get older, but I don't see 30-year-olds going to B2K for a nostalgia tour. This is the perfect time to do it, I think. You wouldn't think so, but I would not be surprised. I mean, it was years ago when people were saying that Immature IMX needs to come back because... That's my generation, and we're like all mid-30s now, getting close to 40. It's like, oh, nobody wants to see that. You would be surprised. They still want to see Batman and a.k.a. Marcus Houston takes a little rag to shirt off. So there's <laughs> always a market to appeal to nostalgia. Fair enough. So, Ed, that appears to be it for this week's podcast. It actually went to over an hour i didn't think we would make it but we made it next week hopefully we get tom back but before we get out of here what's going on with sewingstereo.com i'm waiting on a love letters man oh lord yes it's been a busy week for your boy i've had a lot of side projects going on that hopefully i will finish up this coming week but yes there will be a new love letters posting this monday so yes it's already in the can ready to go check it out it's really interesting too i won't spoil it but it's a, it gets kind of deep on the discussion of women and men and the way men, women are portrayed and the way men portray women. So I'll leave that little teaser there. Um, as far as some other stuff, we got a new Wu-Tang album of all things coming out later this week. So there'll be a review of that on the site. And then, of course, we got a few new R&B releases as well. So stay tuned and see what we think of those. Man, I can't wait for this love letters because, Ed, I have a friend, and I'm not going to call any names out because I don't want to be in trouble, but she's been dating her boyfriend for a while now. She admits that she's not in love with him, but if he makes a couple of changes and she's patient with it, she might fall in love with him then. And I oh, was like, play boy, 
Player, friend needs to send you more an email so we can get that one on the site because I got thoughts. Oh, man. But anyway, so that's what's going on with SoInStereo.com. With, you know I got so... It's going to be the usual. I don't think we have any interviews coming up that I can think about. We are about a month away from me finally meeting Ashanti. I've started to plan my Instagram on what I'm going to oh do there. Oh, my God. Actually, there is one tour that's – or actually two tours that's coming up. One is Tank and Leela James, which some people on our Facebook said was a really weird combination. And definitely it is in 2017. So. In 2017 well, with, with Tank – well, yeah, in, in 2017, maybe so, because when he's singing the Savage song next to her song, it's going to be a little odd. But back in the day, it wouldn't be that weird. No, but it's a little different now. And then the other tour that was announced recently is her. She's going on her solo tour. And Ed, I think it's interesting because I'll probably be interviewing her when she comes back. But I think we're finally at that point where people don't care about her secret identity anymore and they're just liking the music. Well, I gotta say, I was a little skeptical of her game plan with this, but, you know, it seems to be working. Um, And it's, you know, props to her. If she was able to hide and use this kind of gimmick thing to put her music in the forefront, I was like, it might work short term, but not long term. It seems to be working long term. Now, she can't wear the cane mask for the rest of her life. She's gonna have to come out eventually, but for now, so far, so good. Yep. Oh, and by the way, she's going to be putting out her her two EPs along with five new songs, and she's going to package that up as an album, which is a pretty interesting approach. So that will come out, I think, in a, right before the tour happens. So be on the lookout for new her music, Ed. Interesting. I'll be I'll be looking. As many people know, I was a huge fan of the first EP. Second EP was alright. I thought it was a little sleepy. So. Maybe mixing the two and adding some new material can make a pretty strong package. Well, after that song that she put out with Julius Caesar, I'm back on board. Oh my god, please with the Julius <laughs> Caesar. Oh, shout out to Daniel. Anyways, we are out of here. Kyle signing out as well as Ed. We'll see you next week. Alright players, see ya.